The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Today I was joined by Alex Pat, a writer with Cubby's Crib. We talked a lot about the Chicago Cubs, working in sports, writing, podcasting, Twitter. It was definitely a good time. So Alex Pat, thanks for coming on to this podcast. How you been? I have been pretty good, as good as I can be in these times. But yeah, thanks for having me. I have been looking forward to this. I... Uh, I know we've been talking for a while. You and Kyle, I finally had Kyle on the other day and I was just editing his a little bit. And so I have also been looking forward to it. Um, You know, you're not, we can get into this more specifically later, but I was just going to say, I know you're not on Twitter as much, but I still kind of chat with you a little bit, obviously. But Mm -hmm. uh, how have you been, uh, you know, in general? I know you said, basically what you said is pretty true for anybody, I think right now, as far as just trying to do the best we can during these times. But overall, how have you, uh, how's things been going? Well, I mean, you know, right now I can't complain too much. You know, as I said on my old Twitter account, for those who are listening who followed it, I got a new career in travel. And, you Mm. know, sports reporting, broadcasting is something I've always wanted to do. But as time has gone on, I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's something for either down the road or keep this as a hobby. So, you know, I really wanted to focus on that. So, uh, you know, it's good right now. You know, unfortunately, as you can imagine, the travel industry is, you know, struggling right now with, you know, the whole issue with the pandemic. So we're trying to fight through that. But, you know, I'm just trying to keep the spirits up and look at the goods and everything. And, you know, so far I've been healthy and the family's been healthy. So we're just trying to keep that going. But, you know, I will tell you, Will, it is it was a big life adjustment, you know, kind of getting away from Twitter because, you know, I built a pretty decent presence on there. As you know, you know, you followed yeah. me for a while. You know, now, though, I feel good. I feel good. I think I made the right choices in life. I think that I'm down a good path right now. And, you know, it's I'm just hoping that the rest of the world and everybody, you know, we can get through this pandemic and there are brighter days ahead. But, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to chuck along and you know, keep the positive vibe up and just hang in there as many people are. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I know that you kind of had the other Twitter account active right now. I don't know how often. How often do you check that one? Barely. I mean, I you honestly, I just have it so that way I could keep a lot of my close followers like you and many others from sports Twitter just connected, like to keep a connection because when you deactivate your account after 30 days, it's permanently gone. So it's not like you could just turn it back on. So that's why I made that second account, really just to kind of make sure that I, I keep my contacts and all my people. So that's why that's there. Maybe I'll check Twitter every now and then just to see what Bears Twitter is up to when they're losing. But, uh, you know, other than that, I really don't go on it much right now. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I've i thought about briefly kind of getting off of it. But I don't know. I, so I love. Um, 
some of the Chicago sports shows that I listen to, I can interact, you know, with their hosts and you've probably seen my yeah. interviews and even my tweets at them in the past. But, uh, that's, I, it's like, I love being able to interact with, uh, that's what I like Twitter for the most outside of communicating with, you know, close connections like you or, you know, other people, uh, being able to, keep up on some of the current sports news top things that break or just interacting with different uh, hosts and media personalities. It's really cool when you can actually interact with someone, whether or not they're verified, but you know what I mean? The people that you don't necessarily, you may not necessarily expect to hear from and then they'll respond. So that's kind of cool. But, but yeah, I totally understand getting away from kind of the toxic aspect of it. Um, I spend too much time on that app too, just uh, scrolling through and I'm just like, why am I on here right now? I should be asleep or something, but. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It was almost like it got to a point where I was using it so much where I was scrolling through Twitter when I'm in crosswalks, Mm. when I really shouldn't be using it. You know, I'm trying to work, do my job, but I, I find myself distracted and I miss, if there is one thing I truly miss, it's interacting with all my fellow sports fan friends like you and so many others and being able to talk to some people in the industry and build some good relationships with them was wonderful. But, you know, there comes a time where you have to make some life changes with what life throws you. And right now, you know, there were other things in life that I needed to focus on. But, you know, if people are listening that followed me, just so you know, you know, I'm doing good. So, you know, don't be Alarmed. I'm, I'm sure nobody's alarmed. <laughs> I'm not that right. important. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that is one thing I do miss. But, you know, sometimes you got to make a sacrifice in order to kind of, you know, move along in life. And sometimes when you give up something small, you find that there are other doors that open that are really good for you. And, you know, it's like I said, it was like battling an addiction. I got so mm. sucked into it. And, you know, I I want people to know, my fellow followers, that, you know, I still value their friendship like you and so many other people. And, you know, I'm glad that we were able to connect in other ways. But, you know, the the whole website as a whole, just social media can be very, very, very Mm -hmm. addicting. And it just got too distracting for me. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and, you know, in in general, I'm glad that you're doing well uh, job-wise. Now, uh, the, the job that you mentioned, you know, working in travel, You've been doing this job mm-hmm. for a few years, right? So I started at this company as a temp in September of 2018. I was a temp there for about five months. And then in August 2019, I got hired as a full-time member of the team. So I've been in the full-time position a little over a year. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I do remember that uh, you went to travel or you were, I, I thought you had the same job. So that's good to hear that. Um, even though I guess, like you mentioned before, that travel is kind of probably down right now with the pandemic, obviously, but it sounds like, it sounds like oh, the job is yeah. going pretty well in spite of all the travel uh, or lack thereof, basically. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been a very enjoyable gig and I hope to stay here as long as I can. And, you know, right now we're still working from home, yeah. so no commute in the morning. That's nice. Yeah, you know, that's the same for me, obviously. You know, I so I, I work in uh, my job is primarily, um, you know, it's really solely uh, focus on like fundraising, digital fundraising. So obviously, especially oh, nice. especially in a year like this with COVID and everything going on, we we're doing really well. So did you ever actually work in sports or was that just kind of what you were thinking you might end up getting into? 
So I interned with the uh, Chicago Bandits, the professional women's softball um, organization. And, you know, the whole reason I got into sports and sports broadcasting, if any people here know my brother, Jason Pat, who is verified Mm -hmm. on Twitter, NBA writer, he's the one that kind of got me into that during my early college years. Because, you know, I always like sports, always like talking about it. And he's like, you know, I got Twitter and I, you know, I write all this stuff and I got these connections. So he was the one that kind of got me into into all that stuff. And then when I was for most of college, that was kind of my career goal. But as you probably know, when you're in college, life takes you in different paths than where you expect to be. Right. You know, I I dreamed in college being like, man, I'm going to host my own sports radio show when I get out of here and yada, yada. And well, there's, you know, a lot to go after college. You got to do internships and other jobs. You have to build your way up to that. But yeah, I, yeah. I, it wasn't a paid internship, but it was nice experience. And right after that is actually when I got the temp gig at my travel company. Cause I'm like, you know what? This is an opportunity to get an actual paid job. Why not? I'll still keep working towards that goal. But yeah, I mean, that's the most I've actually worked in sports. And of course, you know, I've, I've, you know, I write for Cubby's crib as you once did. And that's some extra pocket change here or there. But yeah, that, that's about the extension of actually working in sports. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up your brother too, because I was going to ask kind of uh, maybe the influence that he provided. Obviously, you mentioned kind of helping you get into this path, even even if it's just a hobby for now or, you know, whatever direction it takes you. It's pretty cool to have that kind of connection, though. I mean, like you said, he's verified on Twitter. Yeah, you know, he used to go... There was a channel here. Unfortunately, they just pulled the plug recently, but for a number of years, there was a sports channel here that was hosted by Jarrett Payton, the son of the great Walter Payton. And uh, Jay was able to go on his show a few times. And he's done a lot of stuff here or there with uh, like NBA draft day. Like he would do this live stream with some people. He was out in Phoenix a few years ago doing a live stream during like the first round of the NBA draft. So He's done a lot of cool stuff, and he was at the All-Star Game. If you remember the All-Star Game, the NBA All-Star Game was here in Chicago. Uh, so he was at those festivities over at the United Center and over at uh, Wintrust Arena where the Sky play. And I just want to say that arena is a beautiful arena. If you ever get a chance to come to Chicago, you get a chance to see a game there. Highly recommend. But yeah, you know, he's done a lot of cool stuff, and I've been able to do some cool stuff myself, like uh, Danny Rocket of the San Ranto Show. Uh, had me on his live podcast uh, at John Baker Day uh, in 2019. And that was with Corey Friedman, uh, a few of the other people, Sarah Sanchez, uh, Luis Medina, and there's some of the guys from uh, Bleacher Nation. So that was really cool. That was probably the coolest sports thing I'd done. And then through my show, Swirsky Sports, which I still do, um, I don't know if you know uh, Big Dave Watson. He was with NBC Chicago last year with the Bulls, and we did a live show at a bar a few years ago. So that's probably the coolest stuff I got to do with sports. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, obviously, like you mentioned, I knew you about the Cubby's Crib. I kind of helped you with that, you know, kind of getting in there. That's pretty cool Mm -hmm. because I know that a podcast got started and you ended up really taking the reins of that. Uh, And you're not still doing that, are you? Uh, So the Cubby's Crib pod, I kind of had to, step away uh just because it was about the time i asked my twitter because i did that podcast for a good two years and you know we had a great run me and adam mcginnis were hosting that we had a really good run but 
you know, with the job, with things kind of turn, you know, life just kind of got busy. So I'm still doing the Swirsky Sports Podcast, but for Cubby's Crib, I'm not even like a typical writer there anymore. I just do occasional columns for them where they need me to fill in. Yeah, I kind of thought that was what what it was. I thought I, I remembered you um, posting or saying something like that, like you might be doing like occasional stuff. So that's cool. But yeah, I'm glad that you were able to get in with the crib and obviously contribute as much as you did. Because I remember when you were trying to get in there, that was like, what, three years that ago? That was December so were, of 2017. It, yeah, so you were able to make your mark pretty quickly, which is cool. And um, I knew that you would be a good fit there. You were so my in, awesome and that. I'm very thankful for that, by the way. So thank you. Well, no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I totally get that. Like, I'm, I'm in, obviously, we're all in the same boat, I feel like, as far as all of us who were at least at one point, either trying to work in sports or trying to figure out how to get in somehow. So if I can help in any little way, because I'm I'm the same way as trying to, I'm always asking people and uh, trying to figure my way through. So if I can help, that's cool to hear. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where in this type of industry, especially in media, it's always you got to know somebody, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, uh, you know, talking about college and internships, I remember, so I, I graduated, uh, what, seven years ago now, 2013. So I was at Longwood here in Virginia and, um, we had to have an internship to graduate. So I ended up getting my internship with the flying squirrels, you know, the baseball team here. And then mm-hmm. a couple years later I was in Augusta with the green jackets. So, uh, same organization with the giants. So, um, it was really cool to take, you know, the the first internship with the squirrels was a little bit less hands on. It was more of like, a, it was it was a, I was a game day intern, so basically I showed up on game days only and helped out throughout the game, and that was pretty much it. The one in Augusta was where I was the uh, full time intern, basically. So we were um, there, you know, every day, typical office hours, things like that. And it was mm-hmm. a it was a good internship for me to uh, really experience the media marketing side of things. But it was also kind of like you know after the internship, I was still looking to work in sports. You know, I was applying. I had an inter I had a phone interview with the uh, the Buccaneers and like Nassau Coliseum up in New York, like Skype interviews, really? phone interviews. Yeah, so it's funny because uh, I was applying and applying, and I you know get. Like the Nassau Coliseum in New York. So at that point, the Islanders, I believe, had already left or were leaving the were, were leaving the Nassau Coliseum, but they still had things going on there, I guess. And I, I don't even know what the job was. I think it was like an email thing. So I remember I had, I think, like an initial phone interview, and I didn't think that it really went anywhere, but I ended up getting a like a second Skype interview. And that was also mm-hmm. really weird because <laughs> they told me that there'd be two people on the interview and then it was only one and they were like, oh, so-and-so's busy and well, it would just be us. And then the Skype feed was horrible and I was like, yeah, this is a disaster. Um, I didn't really think that I wanted the job all that much anyway. And uh, I don't even, I think they told me they'd be in touch and they never were. And I never followed up. Oh, they always say that. They always say that. Yeah. And it was just kind of a weird situation. So, but it was cool to say that I interviewed with the Nassau Coliseum and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneer job. That was some creative writing thing. Now, that, now, I think going in, I already knew that it was a little bit more advanced for what I was trying to, you know, I, I wasn't sure. really ready for. It, but I, I, you know, whatever. I was like, I'll interview, I'll, um, I'll apply, and I ended up getting 
I had to submit all these, you know, samples and this and that. And uh, I ended up having a phone interview. And uh, I think the person that they were trying to, you know, the, the person that was leaving, I'd been there forever. And so they were very experienced. And uh, anyway, my, my goal was just to be a finalist because they said they would let the finalists know, you know, top three or whatever. And I never heard anything after that, but I mm-hmm. already figured I wasn't going to get it. But yeah, outside of those, I was applying to, you know, different jobs, but, um, it just, I ended up just not really, uh, obviously I didn't find anything in sports, but I ended up finding a job, you know, it took me forever. I was job searching forever. I found a job, not in sports. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm good with this. Well, it was a horrible fit. Left that job last year. And now I have a new job, the one I was mentioning with the whole, you know, digital online fundraising, which has been great. It's a great fit. You know, I'm t- so I'm, in, my, in my own experience, now who knows what will happen down the road, but I'm super happy with where I'm at now. And I like, Good. I Good. like doing what I'm doing as far as podcasting and writing uh, on the side, more of a hobby. It's kind of where I'm at, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like almost like if this was a job, I'd be stressing out about it. And I, you know, I would have to make sure like, you know, I got to do a good job to make money here because this is my living where doing it as a side gig or hobby, I feel much more relaxed and more enjoyable. That's how I see it. I kind of feel like it's better for me to keep sports as a hobby because, you know, the one thing about when now this was in minor league baseball when I was interning, but we would work Mm -hmm. weekends and just you know oh yeah it was crazy scheduling yeah Yeah. so and whether it was a baseball game or not you know we might have had other fun uh, other events going on so which Uh was cool but yeah i'm kind of good with my typical hours and then i do these podcast now the podcasting thing this has been a whole new thing like i got into it last year with the canon for sb nation but i'm doing Mm -hmm. my own thing like this you know it didn't start out like a podcast it started out with me just trying to interview you know, people in sports, like four years ago in 2016, I was, you know, I got to interview Jerry Crass and I go over the phone. Actually, what I was doing initially was I was, I was reaching out to random, like on Facebook, uh, like ex, you know, baseball players or whoever. And I don't know why I was doing it like this, but I was like writing up my questions and sending it to them and having them like send me their answers back, which a couple of them did. But then finally, I got the idea to just do phone interviews. I was like, that makes more sense. Just call them yeah. if, if I can. So anyway, that's when I got to talk with Jerry Krasnick. And I think he was still with ESPN back then. And uh, get his whole, you know, his story as far as his career and everything. And then I got to talk with Carl Ravage's son, Sam, who was the Flying Squirrels broadcaster. He was there. So Sam Ravage was their radio broadcaster for a couple of years. And now he's with uh, ESPN. But then it kind of just, you know, I kind of got away from that until this year and you know i got to talk with dan shulman carl ravage uh you know different espn 1000 people and then i kind of expanded from there and got to talk you know like you know you and other people that are in you know doing podcasts or basically other sports fans like us so it's been really cool and now it's just become like a weekly thing to where i've got people Mm -hmm. like every week so it's been really cool yeah, that's awesome, man. And you know what's cool is that you get to look forward to that every week. You know, because I realized it, as cool as it is to get a guy like Dan Shulman or 
Carl Ravage or whoever, I'm not going to get, you know, big time uh, ESPN people very often. So it's like, well, if I'm going to try to do a podcast, I need to expand. I need to talk. And I've really liked being able to talk with like the fellow sports fan, fellow writer, podcaster, whatever, because like you, for instance, like getting your story or getting other people's stories in general. So it's been fun to, uh, to chat, uh, get into the, the, whatever sports are happening at the time, you know, especially uh, I've been talking with a lot of Chicago people, obviously. So a lot of it's been Cubs and overall bears and, you know, so it's been fun regardless of, it doesn't have to be like a famous person. I want to talk with so many different people. It's been really fun to do that. Sometimes the average Joe has the best stories. Yeah, exactly. There's, I was going to say, it sounds bad when I was trying to like, when it sounded like I was just saying like, yeah, I'm trying to talk to famous people, but then I expanded. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's been fun. It's been fun to just, you know, I realized like, it's a lot more, I guess, sustainable to, to kind of expand what I was, my audience or not my audience, but expand my, you know, whoever I was trying to talk with, you know, trying to get different people on. So yeah, definitely been a lot of fun getting a lot of different stories and I think it's helped me too, like just from, well, so I've learned, I've learned podcasting and I'm, I'm going to ask you the same thing in a minute as far as Mm -hmm. kind of your technique with it, with everything. But I think it's helped me because when I first started, I was like, all right, I have, you know, I have my Mac. Um, I don't have a head, I don't have headphones or I don't have a mic. I'm fine. I'll just, you know, it'll be fine. But then I started getting into it. And then I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And I have, you know, noise canceling headphones and I've got, you know, a really awesome mic and a good setup. And now when I edit, I am basically like a perfectionist for better or for worse, because I'm going in there and trying to get like every little background noise out or, you know, this or that. So it's like, it's become such a passion, I guess. And so it's been really fun to just not only have guests on, but I, I I like the editing aspect, even though it can be kind of frustrating because it can take me a while. And oh, I, was, yeah. I was curious too. Uh-huh. So like for you, how much experience, I guess, did you have podcasting or uh, did you edit or, you know, what, what was it like for you going through all that? So when I was in college, um, I was in the broadcasting department. So I did weekly radio shows. So, you know, recording was no stranger to me. Uh, I've been editing things since I was a kid, video, audio, mainly video as a kid. Um, And then, you know, when I got out of college, in addition to like broadcasting, one of my goals was to get into voice work, like voiceover work. So I bought myself a lot of this equipment, a lot of this uh, recording stuff. So I kind of had the tools around me. It was just a matter of, all right, how do I market myself? How do I get out there? And luckily, I was able to meet some people that brought me onto their projects. And that's kind of how it took off for me. But, you know, I I will say this, there's a big difference with me in recording a podcast and doing a live radio show where live radio show, obviously you can't really edit it because it's live. You know, I mean, for obvious reasons, but, you know, doing a podcast, I feel like there's less pressure, I guess, obviously, because when you're live, you're live. Um, You know, each is a little different. Each has its pros and cons, but overall... You know, I was able to take what I learned in college and stuff I did before and just kind of put it all together. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a fun hobby that I've really gotten into the writing. Writing for me was what I used to really think I was doing, you know, predominantly. And I still do that. But podcasting has kind of taken over 
in terms of what I'm doing on the regular now. So it's been fun. I like doing it. So right on, man. Right on. I definitely wanted to get your thoughts, of course, on the Cubs. Uh-huh. So I, I mean, I ask, uh, of course, you know, all my, all my Chicago guests, all my Cubs fans uh, that come on, their thoughts. Obviously, you know, I had Bleacher Nation on a couple of weeks ago. I had Jake from the Cubbies crib on uh, last month. Mm-hmm. So um, getting their thoughts, but basically, we know that this past season. I forget the coronavirus aspect. I mean, the shit show that was a 60 game because of obviously we, we know why there was a 60 game season with the coronavirus and they had to do what they had to do and some of the rule changes and all that. I guess I was just ask you open ended. Basically, what were your thoughts on this past baseball year? Well, it was definitely weird. And I kept going back and forth thinking, do I really want this season to count? I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds weird. I mean, obviously, it's going to count in the record books, and I don't want to take anything away from the award winners, the World Series champions. I don't want to be that guy. But, you know, at the same time, I'm thinking a 60-game season, which is normally 162, you're confined to one division, you know, geographically, obviously, because you play AL and NL, uh, DH in both leagues, which, you know, could be a, a rule going forward. Uh, the extra inning rules. I mean, it, it felt like a Frankenstein experimental league. Hmm. At the end yeah. of the day, the stats are going to count. They should count. And I'm not going to take anything away from the award winners. But I just don't think that I'm ever going to look at this season and see it through the lens like I would any other season. I'm just not. Yeah, I'm just glad that the Cubs won it all in 2016 in a, a regular type of a season because now if they had won it this year, I'm going to take it, but I'm glad they had 16, a regular 162. I'm glad they didn't win their first World Series in a pandemic Oh my God, you know, me too, game. because everyone would be saying, oh, it doesn't count, oh, 60 games, oh, it doesn't count, it doesn't count, right. you're still cursed, so we'd be hearing all that. <laughs> you know what's funny that you mentioned that too? Right now on Marquee, I got on the TV in the background, World Series Game 7 is on. Oh, there you go. Is Marquee showing yes, that right now? Yes, it is. And Kyle Hendricks is getting pulled right now. So we're about to see the stupid garbage with the wild pitch scoring two runs. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I... Uh it's funny too because I I loved making fun of the uh, the Dodgers just because, but... It's kind of funny that they won it in 2020 just because it's like, you know, I don't know. I guess it really wouldn't matter. But yeah, it, it's not it's nothing even really against the uh the Dodgers. I mean, if it was insert any other team, if they were the ones that kept every year getting close and falling short, it would be kind of like a funny joke, mm-hmm. I guess. But uh I think we all kind of liked making fun of LA just because, but they finally won it. And of course it was 2020 in the shortened season. So it's just kind of like, eh, they'll take it. I know, but it's just kind of funny, I guess. But well, yeah, I mean, the thing with LA is I don't hate the team. I just hate how they have unlimited resources everywhere, whether it's prospects, money, it just, they have unlimited everything. So like, uh, but you know what? I also look at it this way too, to try to like, look at it from the other perspective. Since they kind of got cheated in 2017 from the Astros, I guess they were due for some good karma to go their way. And the crazy thing is about the Dodgers, the Braves were one swing away in game five from just completely ending it. 
Because remember, yeah. they had like two on, one out, then two out, nobody out, couldn't score either time. They were one swing away from putting them on ice. Yeah, Atlanta teams just suck. I mean, that those those teams just choke every year. Remember last year, the Braves gave up 10 runs in the first inning to St. Louis in a uh, game. I and do. And then the Falcons. I the, do. They're, they're, what a terrible time to be an Atlanta sports fan. Oh, I know. And you lost two hockey teams to Canada. The Atlanta Flames and the the Atlanta Thrashers, Thrashers. who I I still loved their logo and color scheme, and they were the uh, they were the NHL team for the Chicago Wolves here uh, for many many years. A lot of their players back in the day were Chicago Wolves alum that won championships here in Chicago with the Wolves. I was curious too with baseball. Did you like the DH in the National League? Did you like the extra in? I'm, I'm sure you didn't like the extra innings role with a man on second. Or what about the three batter minimum? Okay, so I'll just go down the line. The three batter minimum, I hate it. It is absolutely stupid. It is taking away control from the manager for the only reason to save a few minutes of time that barely anybody notices. Um, so I hate that role, especially especially as a Cubs fan. When you watch the bullpen walk guy after guy after guy. Look, I know Carl Edwards Jr. did have his moments, but you remember it would only take one or two pitches for you to tell if he was on or not. Could you imagine if we still had him on the team and he's you know walking the first guy? He clearly doesn't have it. Well, you got to face two more batters. I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Now, the extra inning rule, I I could live with it in that 60-game season. I do not want it going forward. But for that one 60-game season, eh, okay, whatever. Now, the DH is where it gets interesting because I'm traditionally a National League guy. And I believe in traditional baseball rules. That said... The DH is okay. I I can I I can easily accept the DH. And you know what's funny is when we were watching a DH all season, especially with the Cubs, you kind of forgot the rule was there. You just kind of went through the lineup and you kind of didn't mm-hmm. think about it. You know, it just that, that was the yeah. lineup. You didn't really think about it that much. So if they say DH going forward, fine. That's kind of how I felt. Now, I'm not a fan of the three batter minimum either, but I kind of forget about it, honestly, because if a pitcher's out there and he's just pitching like normal, I kind of just didn't even think about the rule. But, you know, I, I definitely didn't like it either because I'd rather let the manager manage the way he needs to to win the game. And I know people in general, the average fan doesn't like, you know, four hour games and millions of pitching changes and commercials, but. You know, when it's your team, or at least for me, when it's my team in the playoffs that I'm watching, I'm not thinking about the time, unless, of course, I have to get to bed early the next day. You know what I mean? <laughs> but in general, I'm not really thinking about how long the game is taking. I just want the manager and the team to do whatever they have to do to win that game. Yeah, exactly. I don't want the manager's power being taken away because Rob Manfred thinks it's going to save a few minutes. Yeah, I, I right. get constant... <laughs> Constant pitching changes can be annoying, but you know what? The way I see it is eliminating that is not going to suddenly bring flocks of people that never watched baseball before to the ballpark. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I thought about it, too. I was like, you know, it feels like they're trying to appease to a fan base that's not even a baseball fan to begin with. Right. And here's the other thing, too. If you are going to sell your product to other people that aren't invested in your product, 
Trying to make these rule changes makes you look like you're not secure with your own products. So why would people invest hmm. in it? That's a good point. You know? Yeah, I like good point. I mean, it I don't know. Manfred's just he's just been awful, honestly. Yeah, I, I've tried to give him some benefit of the doubt early on, but the way this past year has gone, it just, uh, just oh, ugh. I mean, you start out with, you know, you go back to spring training when he basically says the World Series trophy is a scrap of metal. I think is what oh, his quote yeah, was. That was that was insulting. And then you fit, and then you have you have AJ Hinch getting a new job again. You have Alex Cora going back to the team that fired him a year ago. It's like in the and the Astros players get off like nothing happened. It's like what just happened here? Right. This was this was an act of espionage, basically. I mean, this was this is more than just injecting yourself with some performance enhancing drugs or you know having someone wave at you in the dugout watching the watching the batter in the batter's box. This was a system, an electronic system. That was designed to steal signs. I mean, this was a whole operation. Yeah. Franchise wide. Isn't it crazy? And now it's like, and I know White Sox fans were, or at least I think some of them wanted AJ Hinch and a lot I know did. Tigers fans are probably happy with him, but uh, what were your thoughts on him getting a job again and Alex Cora going back to Boston? Yeah. So I, I understand why White Sox fans would want him in terms of fit and philosophy. I totally get that. Do I think sometimes that they shouldn't be back or at least back this soon? Yeah, I do. I think maybe if you're going to suspend him, maybe more than just a year, especially after a year, you only played 60 games. But I mean, should they abandon? You know, here's the, here's where it gets tricky. Shoeless Joe has been banned for a hundred years now for something that he probably didn't even actually participate in. You know what I'm talking about, right? With the Black Sox scandal? Yeah. Yeah. He's been banned this whole time. Pete Rose has been yep. banned for gambling on his team. I'm not saying that's right, but this was like I said, this was an act of espionage with technology. This was spying. Like this. This crosses so many legal issues. And yet, Shoeless Joe is still banned. Like, that's, there's a lot of double standard here. And you know what? I love the game of baseball. I'll always have a passion for it. But if you look at the major sports here in America, baseball certainly is not the squeakiest to clean when it comes with scandals, cheating, and just things going wrong. So there's a lot of double standard everywhere. I just feel like you got to establish some tighter ground rules that applies to everything. I mean, if you're going to reinstate these guys after one year, why would you not reinstate, even though he's long gone, why would you still refuse to give a plaque to Shoeless Joe? I, you know, I just, there's a lot of double standard here that you can go back and forth on until you're blue in the face. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's crazy to think about, but... It, it, <sighs> I'll never forget what the Astros did, and I don't think people will either. But I think as time goes on, Alex Cora will and uh, AJ Hinch will just kind of keep on going their own way. And, you know, especially with AJ Hinch being with a new team now. And I know the whole Boston Red Sox thing wasn't quite as bad as the Houston Astros thing. So I think 
time will just kind of slip our minds with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the case. It's just, it's so uh, it just so I don't know. I mean, I know with steroids that was like a huge, obviously a huge deal at the time, and it was so widespread. Huge, and there's there's huge, been huge, hints huge. or maybe not hints, but um, not accusations. People have put out there, you know, that this is wider than just Houston and just in Boston, and who knows. Sure. But, oh, yeah. Uh, that they just—they were just the ones that got caught. So I mean, it's just from a, like an like you said, a whole an elect- electronic operation. But then again, like you said, baseball has had its share of scandals throughout the years, almost like throughout the decades. It seems like so. I mean, not not condoning it whatsoever, but it's almost like I, I kind of felt like it was like the electronic cheating age was kind of like you know just a modern well not just but kind of like a modern day like you know you have the spitball back in the day or pitchers would grind up the ball just to get the edge so this is just like another way of getting an edge but you know more modern as far as a whole cheating electronic system if you know what i mean right exactly and it was so keeping up with the times to cheat Uh yeah yeah, exactly i mean there were talks back in the 70s and 80s of people using flashing lights on a old scoreboard Mm -hmm. you know that was it wasn't like a computer or a camera we have today but in the times you know that was kind of the sufficient way to do it yeah exactly and and like again i'm totally not condoning it but yeah it's like as as you get you know through the years into more advanced technology i mean it's just another way of teams finding an edge and keeping up with the latest technology to be able to do that but yeah, it's so going back to the Cubs, they've been regressing obviously ever since the World Series. Uh, yep. 27, yep. 2017 was okay in my mind. They got to the NLCS. It was about one year after. 18 was when they get Darvish. Joe Madden says it's it's the best rotation that he's had. And, you know, we're all like, okay, time for the reset. Didn't really happen. The offense started to really go. 19 was bad this past year. Yeah, they won the division. Big deal. I mean, we all saw the writing on the wall. So, you know, Theo is pretty much getting his exit strategy together now. Transition is is happening. They're probably, you know, I was talking to Bleacher Nation, you know, Brett Taylor a couple pods ago, and uh, he was basically saying, you know, this team is probably obviously not going to spend money, especially with the pandemic crippling, right. you know. So what do you make of this team now? It's... I know it's a loaded question. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's one I do like talking about. This is a team that can always be better because we've seen their highs. We've seen their highs. I mean, let's look at each year again. Like you just mentioned each year. It seemed like every year there was some really dumb, fluky thing Mm -hmm. that happened. 2017, the pitching rotation really regressed, which you kind of expected it to. And you gave up those first inning runs all the time. 2018, you had just the home runs and slugging just drop. I mean, everything just dropped. You want to blame Chili Davis. You want to blame the hitters. That's all the conversation. 2019, you couldn't win on the road. You didn't really have a good bullpen. And then this year, your core, your core just stunk. And it's crazy because in 2019, the core players had really good years. Rizzo had a good year. Bryant had an all-star year. Contreras had an all-star year. 
Baez had an all-star year. This year, Rizzo had a down year. Chris Bryant had his worst year. Baez had his worst year. Schwarber had his worst year. And don't forget, in 2019, too, Schwarber almost hit the 40 home run mark. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. Ever since 2016, we have looked for new excuses yeah. for why the offense isn't consistent. Right. 2017, oh, we didn't have a leadoff man. 2018, it broke at the end of the year. 2019, we didn't have the depth. The core was good, but the depth around it was shit. And then this year, the core was shit, and the depth was the one driving in the runs. So it's like you see the same problem, but different reasons and excuses for it. You look at 2015 and 2016, those teams were all clicking at the same time. I Go back and watch the monthly highlights of the 2016 season, April, May, June, July, so on and so forth. That offense was relentless. And now the offense is too many holes. That's the essential problem. They can take their walks, but the strike zone has enough weaknesses where teams exploit it. And when they have too many weaknesses in the strike zone and they are not putting the ball in play enough, that's when you see this happen. Yeah, 2016 was relentless. I mean, that team was historically good in you know certain uh, areas, whether defensively, offensively. Look at the defensive run save that year. Yeah, I mean, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, maybe maybe the team overachieved. I mean, it's hard to win 103 games every year and do what they did. But yeah, maybe they overachieved in some areas. But a lot of these guys were hitting, you know, like their own wit, their own personal window of pr- of their prime. And they peaked early. Like they you, peaked young. Yeah, and like you said, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, they've been through so many hitting coaches and it's like, okay, at some point, maybe the coach wasn't the best fit, but at some point you look at the the players and say, they're the ones not coming through and they need to. And like yeah. you said, we made, we made too many excuses. And I just feel like we kept, uh, or not we really, but the, the front office specifically. And then of course, fans kind of echo the sentiment of, uh, you know, we don't need to get rid of anybody and, uh, you know, it's stupid if you get rid of Brian or blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying you should get rid of Brian, but I feel like the team tried to, to hold on to that glory year too long. And I, I know it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback now, but, you know, in 17, they tried to patch the end of the rotation with guys like Brett Anderson. And then in 18, they get Darvish. But, yeah, you know, it was just it was just. The front office made some weird moves too over the years. Uh, you know, t- Tyler Chatwood. I kind of thought, okay, they they see something that they like with him, and it just didn't work out. But you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And here's here's my view on tw- uh, 2017, 2018. Let me give you some overall views on that, and I'll kind of see what you think about it. 2017, we saw that first half sub 500. To me, that was a pure hangover. I think that was a pure mm-hmm. hangover yeah. because you look at the second half. The way they surged, and they won 92 games. So they were, what, 11 games off the pace from the previous year? That was going the entire first half sub-500. So that was a hangover. Then when you got into the playoffs, you ran out of gas. You just simply ran out of gas, and you were overmatched by a team that was, you know, in the Dodgers. That was just a hell lot better than you. And to me, getting eliminated in the NLCS, I felt no ill feelings at all. When we geared up in 2018 and we signed Darvish, we brought Chatwood in and we saw them get a nice winter of rest where they're not touring the country and appearing on SNL and Jimmy Kimmel and all this stuff. I'm like, they're rested. They're reloaded. Let's go on another World Series run. 
And then the start and end of the seasons were mediocre overall. The offense wasn't consistent, and it was frustrating. The middle of 2018, if you remember, even with Darvish and Bryant hurt, they went through stretches where they were just tearing the cover off the ball, and they were winning crazy games like the David Bodie Grand Slam. But the thing with 2018 is this. You know, remember when Theo said the offense broke? And it did. It did. You needed to win those last two games, the division game and the wild card game, and you couldn't hit. And there were plenty of instances down the stretch you couldn't hit. But, you know, at the same time, I always say this about that team. The Brewers needed to do the unthinkable to win the division, and they did. You could replay that season 10 more times, and it wouldn't end up like that. So, yes, the problems were there in 2018, and they should be taken seriously. But when they did not win the division, that particular moment just purely felt like the Brewers just came and took it from them. Because if the Brewers would have just lost one game during that final stretch, the Cubs would have won the division. That would have been it. Oh, yeah. I remember in 18, they had that like a five-game lead like on Labor Day. And yeah, in Milwaukee, just would not lose. They just kept winning right. every single day, and and then that just became a trend. You know, in nineteen, you know, in some, I mean, in in nineteen, they, you know, they lost Rizzo for a while, and uh, but you know, St. Louis came up and and took it from them, and yeah, and and you go back to Theo saying the offense broke, and it's been broken ever since, and. You know, I think we're finally going to see some kind of, I mean, we have to, you're going to see a shakeup. Something's going to have to give because this team is really not a contender, a true contender right now. I brought this up to Jacob and I even brought this up to to Brett, but a guy like you, Darvish, who is what, 34, going to be 35 in August of next year. Um, he might be one of your best trade chips. Would you trade him? You know, that's something I go on and on in my head. I go over that scenario in my head a lot. I I do. He's got three more years left. His value is high right now. Very, very high. And let's face it, Will. This day and age, when you see these blockbusters happen, a lot of that is because it's a pitcher being traded, a starting pitcher, you know? Yep. And, and, you know, Patrick Mooney had an article about this very topic about Darvish just in in the last day Mm -hmm. or two. And of course, naturally, you're not on Twitter and you should thank God. (laughs) Of course, of course, every I was curious because I I think Patrick Mooney is a pretty well respected writer. He is, yes. But obviously everybody was like, oh, no, of course not. Stupid. How could you trade Darvish? It's like, well, let's be real here. The guys, you know, He's already in his mid-30s. He's had his... Yeah, of course he's playing well right now, which is great. Maybe you have to capitalize on that trade value. I get the temptation to do it. I really do. I'm not saying I want him to be dealt and that they absolutely should deal him, but... Yeah, me neither. I do feel like it is a scenario you have to think about because here's the problem. Like I mentioned earlier, the core... They're coming off their worst years and their value is low right now or low compared to where it normally is. And look, I I can almost guarantee right now, Rizzo and Baez are the two guys that are absolutely going nowhere. I don't see any scenario where those two are traded. Schwarber, Bryant, 
Contreras, that's a little different. Yeah, you know, it's funny when St. Louis let go of Colton Wong, you know, they didn't tender him. And, you know, then the Rizzo option came up, or I should say they didn't pick up his option. And then the Rizzo option was a thing. And I mean, it got to the point where people were starting to wonder, like, could they actually not bring him back? But obviously Rizzo's back and I don't think he's going anywhere either, but you know, he's another one. Uh, I don't, I don't really think he'd go anywhere. He's basically their captain and all that, but you know, he's a guy is in his thirties. They're not probably going to be much better next year than they were this year. But what if Rizzo's having a good start to the year and you have to trade, you got to do something. I don't know. I'm not saying that they, they should trade him, or I'm not saying they should trade Darvish either, but they gotta get. They gotta get creative. I know what you're saying, with, uh, though. I get what you're going. How they're through. going to replenish the farm, right? And you know, my angry reaction to the playoffs scoring one run when that final strikeout was. I think it was. It was Kipnis. Yeah, Kipnis struck out to end. They scored one run the entire postseason. I just put my arms up and said, "Just blow this damn thing up." Like I was mad. I'm like, "Just blow it up. It's over." And I, I realize it is so much easier said than done. I mean, the thing that makes this scenario hard, too, is that you have a guy on the way out in Theo Epstein. Let's say he was on the way out this year, and you brought a new guy in, and he said, you know what, we're going to hit the restart button. Then I think your scenarios might be looking a little different. I just envision a scenario going into 2021 where it's going to be that weird on the fly, retool, rebuild, but try to win because let's face it, the Ricketts family is going to want to at least try to be competitive in 2021 to get some of that revenue back. It's it's hard to sell a rebuild right now, especially when you've lost a lot of money and you want people investing in it as best you can. But, you know, I just, I'm trying to imagine a scenario where this team can contend for a World Series again. And I at best see another division title, but do you really see them getting past the Dodgers or the Braves right now? No, no, you don't. Even the Padres. Even the Padres. Yeah, sure. Because right now those teams are, are just better than you. If this team didn't have so many weaknesses at the bat and had more pitching depth, it'd be completely different because I'll tell you what, the team has the fundamentals and the defense to be a World Series contender. Give David Ross credit. He had his team playing spectacular fundamental baseball this year despite not hitting and the hitting fundamentals being bad but on the diamond and on the field defensively and on the base paths they played great de- uh, they played great fundamental baseball this year so if you just had the pitching depth and the consistent hitting that's different but at this point i don't expect these hitters to suddenly you know reach that level again because they have too many holes in their swings. Like I said earlier, look at the strikeout rate. Yeah. And okay. So with Chris Bryant, he's had injuries and I I just, what do you think about Bryant? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) It's just, it's like, I think he's probably going to be gone. Do you think he gets traded or do you think he leaves as a free agent? I mean, cause his trade value can't be that great right now, considering he's got a year left and he's coming off a bad year. It's not like he's, you know, like an all-star player, at least not right now, based on the way past season went. Because if they trade him, I feel like you're giving him up. I feel like you're selling low if you trade a guy like Brian right oh, now. Of course. But do you let him walk, or what do you think happens there? I really don't want to just let him walk. I do not want to see him walk. 
Uh, first of right. all, imagine this scenario. Imagine the Cubs let him walk, and then next thing you know, uh, in a press conference, he's putting on a St. Louis Cardinals jersey. I, I'm sorry to put that image in your head, but just just imagine if that were to happen. Now, Bryant is... I have stood on a, on a box and defended Chris Bryant over the years, the crap he got. I mean, he had a really good year in 2018. Or 2019, sorry. 2018, he was hurt. But I look at what he's done the past few years, and I look at the history of injuries. And that was one thing I was worried about. I'm like, you know, if anything's going to stop Chris Bryant, I said this back in like 2017, if anything's going to stop him, it's going to be nagging injuries. And unfortunately, he's had a lot of those. And look, he can hit the ball, but he's got some notable holes, I think. You know, he's got a great eye at the plate. He's, when he's in a groove, he's in a groove. But again, I watch him in 2015 and 2016. I watch that MVB player. And while he has been very good, he had a very, very good 2017 and an all-star 2019 season. He has just not been at that level since, that MVP level. We just have not seen that. And the growing injuries, I just, this year I got a bit frustrated. And I don't know how much of it was due to injuries. I don't. But after a while, I'm like, man, you're supposed to be our most valuable player. Like, what's going on here? Like, this is getting old. And, you know, I don't want to be too hard, but I'm almost like, I was almost kind of like, getting sick of the excuses, you know? It, it just, it got old after a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm well past the excuses. And, you know, I gave them the benefit of the doubt after 2016. I mean, you know, they earned it even 17. And even he was in still 18, good in 17. But, That's the thing. His his home runs went down. Yeah. But over, oh, overall, yeah. he was still very, very good. Oh, I meant the Cubs in general. Yeah, oh, for I Bryant, see, for see. sure. But yeah, same with Bryant now. Um, but with the team in general, I was kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt, you know, even even in the 19, I guess, in general. But uh, yeah, and it's kind of painful to watch a guy like Bryant struggle. And you remember what he was like in 15, 16, and even 17. And I don't know. What, what about Madden? I mean, did you think that he should have been gone before 19? Or were you good with him being there through 19? And then they just kind of parted ways. Here's the thing. I think that it was time to move on when they did move on after 2019. People can argue, oh, it should have been, you know, a year earlier. But, you know, I thought Joe Mann's managing in 2018 was one of his best managing seasons with the Cubs. And, you know, you could point to the wild card and division loss, but, you know, the 195 games, and I didn't think it was at all his fault that that happened. I mean, you got to put that on the players, but... You know, the whole lame duck manager thing, you know, I thought, you know, maybe this isn't going to get to him as much as people thought. And then, look, 2019, I thought it was pretty obvious that he had run his course. I just, I feel like firing him after 2018, it would have been a lot more difficult to justify it than even the way things ended after winning 95 games and then coming off three straight NLCS in a World Series after 2018, I thought he deserved the benefit of the doubt, but 2019 is where you really saw the whole Joe Madden effect wear off. Yeah, I uh, I was kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt as well, and I was I was a Madden. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Madden fan in general, so I uh, you know I wasn't. I mean, I guess you could look back now and say, oh, maybe after 19 or after 18, but that's more uh, hindsight I, 2020. I feel. 
Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I think I was, I was good with Madden. Um, you know, I, I like to fight George on Twitter. You know, you know, of course, our guy George. Of course. I like to, uh, I love to give it back to him. We'll go back. <laughs> he's, cause he's so passionate. Yes, and he, is. he was, he was, you know, done with Madden probably after, I don't know, but, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree. I was putting it on the players too, and I know he would too. Um, you know, especially after the offense just, continuously would not come you know 16 they peaked so fast i guess and i'm not gonna say they won too early because maybe they don't win at all maybe they win in 17 and the same thing happens but thank god for 16 is all i can say i say that over and over dukes you know here here's the interesting thing in 2016 when the cubs fell down three games to one i'm not gonna lie i thought it was all but over i mean to come back down three games to one that's so hard to do. Even as good as that team was, I'm like, man, it's just the Indians' year. It's just not meant to be, yada, yada. And But I thought, that's okay. Look how good this team is. They'll just come right back next year and try it again. They could come right back next year. Thank God. Thank God they ended up winning because you really don't know. Yeah, game five. So... <laughs> I remember when they were down two games to one, I was like, if they don't win tonight, they're they're done because you can't go down 3-1 and expect to win. So, of course, right. I lost, and I was so mad about it. And uh, so game five was my birthday, but I remember I I ended up just like going to sleep in the middle of game four. I was like, screw this. I'm not even going to watch this. I wake up. It's like 7-2 or whatever, Cleveland, and I see like the very end, and I'm just like pissed off like half an hour, and uh, I don't remember if it was that night or maybe I went to sleep and then the next day I woke up and I was like, you know what? Screw it. Uh, it's my birthday. Uh, this team's going to win three in a row. It's going to be fine. I was like in a great mood. I actually had convinced myself, not that I had any, in, not that whatever I thought mattered, but I actually had convinced myself that all the pressure was on Cleveland because they're up three to one. They're supposed to win now. The Cubs can just, they're done. They're going to just play their game. And I, I just convinced myself that they were going to win three in a row and that the pressure was on Cleveland. And what do you know? That kind of worked out. Yeah, my feelings really changed after game five. Because after we won game five, I'm like, all we have to do is win two now, two in a row. I know we don't have room for error, but when you win that game five, you feel like the tides have just turned in any series, really. So, you know, obviously... You can win game five and lose the next game right then and there. But boy, I just, I remember after game five thinking, all right, just win tomorrow, one game at a time. You win tomorrow, game seven, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And game six was a blowout. You could almost make the case that game six, I don't know, game seven was so close that it really doesn't matter. But yeah, game six, I mean, I think the Cubs just kind of, if they didn't already have it, it's like they kind of regain their edge or their swagger. They got off to a good start in seven. And then, of course, you know, tie game and all that it kind of goes out the window. But yeah, like you said, game seven, anything can happen. Yeah. And, you know, we're not too far away. The marquee replay, we're coming up to that Rajay Davis home run, which I will say uh, was the yeah. absolute lowest moment of my sports watching life. That right there. And there are other moments that come close, but those ended in losses. But that moment right there when Davis was rounding the bases, that from then to the rain delay. Because remember in the ninth inning, they had the go-ahead run in Jason Hayward 
with less than two outs. And when Baez bunted and then, oh, do, do you remember when Fowler hit that shot up the middle? Off the bat, I thought that was a for sure base hit. Then all of a sudden it slowed up, bounced right into Lindor's glove, and it was an easy out. That right there, I'm like, that's it. We are 100% losing. I So the Rajay Davis home run, I was just numb. Like I was just like pissed off in the, on the inside, just numb. Um, I thought they were going to lose it in the bottom of the ninth when the Kipnis was up. I thought, you know, that, that, that foul ball that he hit, I thought that was going to be something. But luckily, uh, luckily it, they got out of it and... Well, we know the rest was history, but yeah, it was the ninth inning was grueling. I mean, that was just tough to get through. Chapman was throwing like 97 miles an hour, and for him, that is like a, just incredibly slow. There's no worse feeling I feel like than being a road team, you know, again, you know, at the bottom, and uh, and a, a walk off inning for the home team because one one pitch can be it. So uh-huh. luckily, Chicago got that tenth inning lead. <laughs> luckily, they got two runs. You know, you know what's funny about that rally they had in the top of the tenth. They should have gotten more than two runs. They, Jason Hayward was really nervous, and he swung at pitches that were about to hit him. If he would have put the bat on his shoulders, he probably would have walked, and that would have been another run. And then Baez came up, and then he had a fly ball to center. So if that followed, that'd be four runs, sacrifice fly, and then after that, who knows? It didn't matter in the end. Obviously, they still won, but they could have made it a wee bit easier. But of course, the Cubs winning the World Series 108 years, it was never going to be easy. Oh, yeah. They had to go down 3-1. to one. They had to give up a home run late. You can't sweep your way through. <laughs> no, it, it couldn't have been like Boston after coming down 3 nothing against the right. Yankees. I mean, here's the thing. I don't remember, outside the final out, I don't remember another th- moment from that World Series. But boy, do I remember that ALCS. I, mm-hmm. everyone, everyone remembers that ALCS, every minute of it. But like... Outside the final out of the 04 World Series, I don't remember a moment from it. Yeah. It was just a blow. It was just a straight sweep. It was easy. Or even like the 05 White Sox. That team was, what, 11-1 and in the playoffs? I mean, it couldn't be that easy for the Cubs. No, that, that White Sox run, I have to admit, even though I'm not a Sox fan, I got to admit, that run was historically something. That was crazy. Oh, they had like a complete game, like every game in the ALCS, except for like game one, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was that was nuts. That was nuts. I was curious what your thoughts were on the White Sox. Now, I, I know you're, I don't think you're like a White Sox hater. I know you're not like a White Sox fan, but what do you think about the White Sox? Are you kind of, uh, I guess, maybe even enjoying their sort of success or are you kind of like screw them? Well... I'm not like actively like rooting for them and it's nothing really personal or anything, but I am happy for like my White Sox friends and family that they get to see something good. It's, it's just, it's kind of like a classy acknowledgement. Like I don't want to be like, Oh, I always want to root against the White Sox, yada, yada, but I'm not going to sit there, watch games and cheer them on. I mean, you know, right. I, the, the whole crosstown thing has always gotten kind of annoying and, I just kind of like it when I mind my business with my team and Sox fans mind their business. And sometimes too often, I think those two cross and there's just this endless bantering and it gets kind of annoying. But, you know, it, I think that team is 
going to be set up to go on multiple runs. I mean, that the talent on that team is insanely good. But boy, oh boy, did they make a mistake hiring Tony Larusa? I mean, I I could not believe they did that. Do I think that it could affect them winning a World Series or a few? I don't really think as much as maybe others fear, but there is definitely going to be some clashing, I think, in that dugout from time to time. Just very different personalities. And now we have the whole DUI case. And I just, oh, they... Even as someone who's not a Sox fan, I'm like, really, guys? Really? You really did that? Yeah, I mean, when they were starting to, like, you know, hint that that could happen, I mean, I was just like, really? Like, that's not actually going to happen, though, right? And then it did. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, you know, one thing about the White Sox is, like, honestly, the one thing that I have to admit is if we see them win multiple World Series— It'll be kind of like, well, shoot, they did their rebuild and they got multiple championships out of that. We did ours and we looked like we were set up for multiple championships and we weren't. Not going to lie, I'd feel a little resentment on that. And that's just my stupid fandom brain. Again, it's not personal against the White Sox or anything. I just, uh, if the Cubs had won a few World Series the past few years, I honestly wouldn't care at all. And the other thing, too, is is that we're going to be reminded of that Quintana-Eloy trade for so many years. And that's another thing where, let's say they got Quintana and like either 2018 or 2019, he was a factor in them winning another World Series. I wouldn't give two licks about what Eloy or Cease did the rest of the way. But the fact that he came here and he wasn't as consistent as we hoped he'd be, And the idea of Eloy being the slugging all-star for the next decade plus and possibly winning a few World Series. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's it can hurt a little bit. It can hurt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, I don't know. Like, like I, I, I'm same boat. I'm not, um, so I'm not, I'm not actively rooting for the White Sox, but I don't hate them or anything. I'm kind of indifferent, but, uh, right. It would be kind of funny, I guess, if they didn't win it at all, if they just didn't win the World Series in their, in their little window here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they get one World Series, then I'll say, you know what, that that's cool. Good for them. That's cool. That's cool. You know, whatever. Um, I, I don't want to be that guy that roots against them. That's what I'm trying to tell myself. I'm like, don't be the guy that roots hard against them because, you know, I, I think having like undying hate for the other team in this city is just kind of pointless. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it seems like a waste of energy. I mean, if they were in the same division, that's one thing. Like, it, like, like if it was the Cardinals or the Brewers or something. But, you know, with the White Sox, it's like, if, if the Cubs aren't going to win, and if the White Sox brought one with this core and that was kind of like their peak too, I'd be saying, you know what? That That's cool. That's fine. Um, but... I, you'll never see me like going to guaranteed right field saying, Oh, I got to see these guys. I got to watch my side. You know, that's, that's just not going. Yeah. To right. Yeah, exactly. I'll respect what they do, but you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and again, the LaRusa thing just boggles my mind. Yeah, the team was nuts. bringing up so much positive energy and then they do that. Jerry Reinsdorf, huh? Yeah. And here's the other thing too, is I have my beast with Jerry Reinsdorf as a bulls fan. So not going to lie, seeing that blow up in his face would be kind of funny just because I am, Mm -hmm. I mean, watch the last dance, dude. 
the way that- Oh, all, I did. Yeah, I'm sure you did. You know, we have every reason, the whole Chicago fan base, because let's, when you're in Chicago and you're a basketball fan, you're most likely going to be a Bulls fan. I mean, whether mm-hmm. you're Cubs or White Sox, we've all suffered from Jerry's stupidity. So seeing that kind of get thrown in his face, I think would be satisfying for almost every, even White Sox fans being like, you know what? You deserve it. Oh yeah, the the last dance was 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 so awesome. I I couldn't I yeah. couldn't believe though. Um, just real fast, I couldn't believe how uh, Jerry Krause basically goes into Reinsdorf's office and is like, "I want to be a GM," and he's like, "Okay, done." <laughs> it's like, what? You're a baseball scout. That's how it works. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know what else that documentary reminded me of? Because I was just. It, unfortunately I was just too young to remember that stuff with Michael Jordan. I just was too young. It reminded me that you can look at most big athletic stars today and they did not hold a candle to the big fame of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was arguably top three biggest athletes to ever live. Mm -hmm. I mean, with Muhammad Ali, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron. I mean, there's very few that were on that level. I mean, you saw him play games in Europe and the whole country, the whole continent, like, you know, I don't remember where he was playing exactly. It was it Lithuania, Finland, somewhere. Um, it was where they were holding a game, but... People just from all over travel just to see Michael Might have been France. Yeah, France. That's what I was thinking of. I don't know why I was thinking of Finland, but you know what I mean? I just, (laughs) my overall thing is it's like, look how big the Cubs were when they won the World Series. That is obviously Chicago sports' like most historical moment just on an accomplishment. But you can look at all the athletes in Chicago sports history and Michael Jordan is just on that whole mountain of his own above everybody else. Yeah, yeah, there's no my I mean, yeah, you can say LeBron today or whatever, but yeah, Michael is a whole other whole other ball game. You can argue till you're blue in the face about who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I still don't think that LeBron James's image and fame is as big or bigger than Michael Jordan was. I will always Isn't argue it? that Michael Jordan was bigger. Oh yeah, for sure. And people that say that it's LeBron just didn't watch Michael or are just too young. And I mean, you know, that'd be like us, I guess, you know, like we, like we know how good a guy like Kareem was. We didn't see him play, right. but we know he's one of the best ever, mm-hmm. but we know from seeing Michael or, you know, you might've been, you might've been a little bit young, but uh, we, it, just from the last dance, we saw how impactful Michael Jordan was. Exactly. Now, you can ask a person that's not a sports fan, oh, you know uh, you know who, uh, I don't know, like a pretty famous, like Patrick Ewing. Like yeah. they'd be like, uh, who? And obviously sports fans will know who he is. He was an all-time great. But, you know, uh, casual people be like, uh, who? But if you but everybody ask knows any, Michael Jordan. everybody yeah. knows Michael Jordan. Everybody. Exactly. Yeah, I know. That's kind of like the, the one of the best ways to put it is like if if you're not a sports fan, but you know who that is, it's like, well, obviously, unless unless, of course, you're talking about like O.J. Simpson or something. But yeah, uh, from like that's for the wrong reason. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the other funny thing, too, about 
the Chicago sports landscape is he's still probably one of the most relevant names in this city, even though he hasn't played in a Bulls uniform in over two decades. He is still probably one of the top most relevant names in this city. And look, since Michael Jordan, we've had some really notable, big notable athletes. We have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze. Uh, Frank Thomas was still playing. I mean, his prime days were in the 90s, but you still had him playing. Uh, You had the rising stars of Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. You had Sammy Sosa. You had, um, you know, Derek Rose when he came up with the Bulls. You had Brian Urlacher, Lance Briggs, Peanut Tillman. There's been a lot of guys, but, you know, and, you know, they'll always have spots in our memories and everything. But the fact that Michael Jordan is just still as relevant as he is, I mean, th- the Bulls are still relevant because of him. They are a worldwide sports brand because of him. Because before Michael Jordan, the Bulls were irrelevant, absolutely irrelevant. The Chicago Stadium was empty, absolutely empty. And then he turned them into a worldwide brand. And they're still there to this day because of him. You won't see that kind of thing happen again. No, I mean, we know that there's not going to be another Michael Jordan in the city. There's just, there's not for at least another century or so i mean it's it's hard to top that well alex uh i definitely had a lot of fun chatting we're gonna have to do this again soon but yeah that was that was all i had and that was that was awesome yeah dude this was this was awesome let's do it again the theme music for this podcast is courtesy of my guy john christian he has a band called let it sleep it's on spotify You can catch this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Go ahead, rate it five stars, leave a review. Three, two, one, zero, zero.